Welcome to the Wealthy Circle Podcast, where we take a deeper dive into this year's finalists and winners from our wealthmanagement.com industry awards. These interviews cover the challenges, innovations, and trends in the wealth management industry and the individuals working to help advisors better help their clients. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this, the Wealthies Podcast. My name is David Armstrong. I'm the editor of wealthmanagement.com. And this, as you know, is the podcast where we recognize our wealthmanagement.com industry award winners and finalists. The wealthmanagement.com industry awards recognizes individuals and firms that build better businesses for financial advisors and that in turn helps create better outcomes for financial advisory clients. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined with Span- by Shannon Spotswood, the president of RFG Advisory. Shannon, thanks very much for joining us. It is so wonderful to be here, David. We are incredibly honored to be recognized along these other prestigious firms that are winners and nominees. Uh, and thank you so much for having us. Sure. You have been, or RFG Advisory has been recognized two years in a row in the RIA Non-Custodial Support Platform. And this is a category meant to recognize the platforms which support RIA success beyond the custodial relationship. Uh, Before we get into what the judges recognized your firm for, both this year and last year, you want to just take a step back and tell the folks who don't know RFG Advisory, just give us the 101, the lay of the land, uh, what you all do. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, to be nominated back to back years, like what an unbelievably awesome experience. And for us, this really is, you know, in our in our world, this is the category that matters the most, because if we were going to put RFG into a nutshell, we are a platform that has been really built from the ground floor up to serve independent advisors. So to have back-to-back years being recognized for non-custodial RIA support platform, this is our Academy Awards, and it's uh, it feels really fantastic. In a nutshell, David, RFG Advisory is a platform to support independent advisors. We were founded in 2003, but six years ago, we actually tore the house down and built RFG 2.0, which is an eye towards uh, the future and being able to deliver to advisors a fully integrated platform supporting all elements of their business, everything from compliance, marketing and branding, technology, operations, business consulting, investment management, and really helping them to deliver a truly differentiated one-to-one experience to their clients and build enterprise value on their own personal balance sheet. That's great. What, What does it look like today? How many advisors are on the platform? Uh, 77 advisors. We have been growing very quickly in the past 18 months. So we're up to 77 advisors, 24 locations, which is just so exciting to be spreading our wings through predominantly the Southeast and the Midwest. And uh, we've we've crossed the $3 billion mark. So as of, you know, markets are moving around a little bit, but we're right around 3.2 billion. That's great. That's a, a very fast trajectory. You know, I think the the notion of a non-custodial support platform for RIAs, there's plenty of competition out there. You know, this is a, a category that's grown dramatically over the past few years as the RIA space, you know, continues to evolve. You want to just give a quick rundown of the sorts of things that you provide for advisors, because I think there's this notion that, you know, there's the table stakes, right? Uh, maybe technology, some back office support, Uh, maybe some compliance support, whatever it might be. What the judges recognized you all for, I think we're more, I guess for lack of a better word, maybe 
and this is not pejorative, but softer skills, right? Uh, the Become a Warrior podcast, I think, and that was what was recognized this year. Last year was the Stronger campaign around women advisors and prospecting for uh, women clients. Tell us a little bit about you know how you envision RFG advisory supporting uh, advisors beyond think, the sort of table stakes. I think you're 100% right, David. It, there is a fierce amount of competition amongst those of us that are delivering platforms to independent advisors. And it's really in reflection to the industry trends. You've seen this massive movement out of the wirehouses onto the independent side. And I think RFG included in this in this list, we've all done as, as platform providers have done a great job of developing the skill set to be able to deliver a very safe and very soft landing for advisors to be able to really drive practice efficiency into the day-to-day, -to, -day, to serve their clients, to prospect, to be relevant as we experience this generational wealth transfer, to take advantage of this tremendous investment that's happening in the uh, in the fintech space. So the the this this creation and this explosion and this growth that we've seen in platform companies is really in direct response to all of us leveling up our skills and being able to deliver to advisors a uh, an environment that they can actually reap the benefits of of independence but you're 100 right in terms of how do we differentiate rfg we had the benefit of being founded in 2003 and then making a very intentional decision to tear the house down and build rfg 2.0 and I'll well, tell you, David, if okay. I roll back the clock to that, mm -hmm. you know, everyone told us it couldn't be done. We were crazy. All of our advisors would, would leave. It's too hard. And we likened it to, you know, changing the en engines on the fighter jet uh, mid-flight over enemy territory. Mm. I mean, it was intense to well, go about, you know, ripping out every piece of technology, changing our business model, getting incredibly uh, incredible clarity around what is our value proposition? How are we going to build the RIA of the future? And we really believe we are on a mission to do just that. And, and what sets us apart, and everybody likes to talk about culture, mm -hmm. but when you are you know, staring at the ceiling in the middle of the night, tearing your, your firm apart to build it for the future and, and really walking through that valley, you have incredible clarity around what does it mean? What is your mission, vision, and values? And we invested heavily, not only in defining who we are, which we, we are a servant heart warrior mindset, that is our DNA, that is our touchstone. But we also really focused on the fact that we're a service company first, we're a technology company second, and we're actually a hybrid RIA third. And the order of those was incredibly important to us. So as we went through that experience of building RFG 2.0 and really formulating our culture and thinking about what it means to be an A player, what it means to get 1% better every single day, we, we were able to really have this benefit of bringing to advisors very innovative, innovative, what I'd call almost add-ons, or as you identified, the soft skills 
to our advisors. So the first one that we were recognized for last year, you're 100% right, is the Stronger Money Initiative. This is our prospecting and educational platform designed for women. And then we followed that back to back with our Become a Warrior podcast and advisor support program. And, and each one of those is reflecting that warrior mindset, servant heart. They're designed to really amplify that one-to-one relationship between the advisor and client. They're designed to help advisors have the tools to prospect. And most importantly, they're designed to really help advisors to, to refine and set their mindset around who do they want to be as an advisor, how do they want to grow their practice, how are they going to make an impact on their clients and on our industry? So there's a couple of questions that string from that. It strikes me that you're not looking for just any advisor to join this platform. I mean, there must be a advisor who's ready for the kind of culture that you're providing. I'm sure growth oriented. Are they younger? How would you characterize the advisors who find their way to your platform? Oh my gosh, David, you are hitting on something that's so important to us. You know, we really believe that we are, you know, as I said, that we're on this mission. And so having that alignment, we are not for everyone. And we try and make that really clear. We want, you know, when, when we're partnering with advisors and when we're talking about what we're building and what we're delivering, we want everyone, and this includes our team, to be either, heck yeah, I'm in, or heck no, this isn't for me. And there really should be no ambiguity. So for us, it's not necessarily around age. We certainly do as, in terms of our advisors, we do tend to skew younger, but it's really more around what is their philosophy for their practice? What is their what is their vision for the future? So advisors that are a heck yeah for RFG are those that are really forward thinking. They're looking to drive efficiency into their practice. They recognize the important role that technology can play in their ability to have a truly differentiated client experience. They're, they're, they're really being thoughtful about the need to invest in their business, not just in terms of their service offering to their clients, but what does that experience look like? Who's on their team? How are they delivering planning? What are they doing from a branding and marketing and social media messaging point of view? So those advisors that are most attracted to RFG and that join us and experience not only, you know, growth in excess, well in excess of, of the industry average, but really most importantly, hear the feedback from their clients that it is a truly game-changing experience that they are making an impact in the, in the lives of the families that they serve those advisors are really aligned around that mindset. And, and, you know, we say very, I mean, this is just like our parlance around, you know, around our shop, around our conversations with our advisors all day long, every day, get 1% better every day, wake up every day with a crush it mindset. And that can be a lot. People are like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want that pressure of this iteration towards excellence, but for our advisors, for their teams, for the RFG team, that really is, is, is the thread that knits us all together. Do you turn advisors away who don't have that mindset or who you don't think would be a good cultural fit? Absolutely. You have to. You have to, you know, for us, we have this incredible benefit that there has been, 
you know, firms that we have come before us that have built, you know, whether you call them an RIA aggregator or a platform company, really fantastic firms that are that are knocking on 20 billion, 40 billion, 50 billion, 100 billion. Um, so there is a pathway of success that ha that that we are really benefiting from being able to see how they built their firms. And for us, as we continue to scale, as we continue to grow, we want to do it by really partnering with those advisors and those team members who are culturally aligned, who are really of that shared mindset, who are uh, who are who are thinking very disruptively and very innovatively about our industry. So, you know, for us, we absolutely are 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 picky about who's joining the platform and 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 more importantly, we want to be able to, you know, look them squarely in the eye and know with a hundred percent conviction in our heart that we can add value. And if an advisor is talking to us about if the first question out of their mouth is what's the check to leave? Right. What kind of upfront money am I going to get? Or there is a, a a reluctance to invest in the talent that's needed to be able to serve their clients and fuel their growth. Or there is a distrust or dislike of technology. They're just not a fit. We're not going to be able to. We're not going to be a force multiplier for them. We're not going to be able to add value to their practice. So it's it's really not worth anybody's time. And there are plenty of other places where those advisors can can find a home. So we try and really be very like upfront, very forward, very bold in our social media, our marketing, our language, our message and our value proposition. Yeah. Take me back just cuz I'm interested in this notion of tearing the house down and rebuilding it, uh, you know, rebuilding the jet engine in mid-flight. What was the issue before? What prompted you to realize or your firm to realize that that had to be done? Oh my gosh, it's it, it's such a fantastic story. So our founder CEO is also an advisor. So he founded RFG in 2003. And when I met him six years ago, he had gone on really what he called a crusade for growth. So he had, through two succession driven partnerships, taken the firm from 450 million to 1.2 billion. And when we met the conversation, and it was one of these serendipitous moments where we both had it on our first meeting on our calendars as a filler meeting, and 15 minutes into our conversation, we canceled the rest of our days. And for all intents and purposes on, on the legal pad in his, uh, his office, the proverbial cocktail napkin, we architected what is RFG 2.0 today. And that conversation really anchored around what we're experiencing, this winds of change that are blowing through our industry, everything from the generational wealth transfer, fee compression, the you know the 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 ratcheting higher of expectations of what it means to deliver a differentiated experience to a client forget our industry just look at across the board the types of experiences that that people are 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 reacting to what does that look like 
the the ability to really capitalize on this massive amount of investment in fintech, the succession crisis in our industry, our inability to attract you know talent. Young people aren't really drawn to our industry. We're not doing a great job. I think we're making a lot of strides in, in 2020 and 2021 on diversity and inclusion, but we have a long way to go. And so we had this conversation against that backdrop. And Bobby was really sitting there having very successfully built his practice and now tripled the size of the firm, recognizing that he was, for all intents and purposes, a reseller of someone else's technology and, and didn't have a value proposition that was really positioning him for success in the future. And I had had the benefit of 20 plus years working in San Francisco on the institutional side of our industry and, and, and had this unbelievable experience of being on the ground floor of companies that were really just getting started. And for anyone who's ever sat at that intersection of talent and opportunity and the great gift to build something bigger than yourself, it is, it, it is, you know, an experience of a lifetime, you know, as my partner, my other partner, our chief investment officer likes to say, if someone offers you a seat on a rocket ship, you don't ask aisle or window, you just <laughs> climb on. And, and it really was Bobby realizing that he had built a successful firm. He'd built a lifestyle company. He had built, you know, a firm that was for all intents and purposes from the outside doing what it was designed to do. But he recognized that with this just unbelievable amount of change coming to bear on the industry that to do something where you were truly creating value for advisors that you were really really amplifying and enabling independence it had to look different and the only way to do that was literally to tear down every single and i am talking every nook and cranny tear that house down and build that from the foundation up. And that's what we did. We spent a year, David, in due diligence on business models, on custodians, on technology, on really listening to advisors and clients about what they wanted. It took us the better part. It took us almost four years, if I'm completely honest, to get it all reconstructed. And that's really, as we started this call, why 18 months ago, you know, our growth has been so explosive. The house is built, and now we're really able to, uh, to deliver something very special to the advisors who are partnering with us. Sure. House is built, and now the people are moving in. Exactly. Um, and you know what's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a change seeker and, and comfortable with disruption and innovation because we're already starting to talk about, and this is iterative change, not tear the house down change, but mm -hmm. what does RFG 3.0 look like? What is that, you know, what is, what is that going to be? And, and how are we going to stay on the forefront of, of, of our industry? Well, that's interesting. I mean, but uh, you know, I think you, you have this notion of being a service company first and a technology company second. Service seems to be the the kind of spongy concept that uh, is easy to talk about, hard to get right. Tell us a little bit about your service model for the advisors who come onto your platform. It is probably the hardest thing to get right. You know, ours is an industry, and my heart really goes out to advisors and. I think this has been uh, exaggerated since the beginning of the global pandemic. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they can be on almost 24 hours a day. You know, their clients are calling them, they're texting them. 
there's been tremendous benefit and I think an acceleration of adoption of some trends that we thought were going to take, you know, five to seven years to play out have really played out in, in the past 18 months, you know, things like, you know, adopting Zoom as a, a as an acceptable way to conduct client meetings, really building out and engaging in client portals, changing how the advisor interacts in a more casual and what I would say a more authentic and real-time way with their clients. All those are good things for the industry. They are good things for clients. They are essential for the longevity of our of our industry and the relevance of advisors in that one-to-one -one relationship. But it has put a tremendous strain on advisors and on their team. You know, I think that we all have come to realize seeking balance is is a um, is a goal that we all hold, but it is very difficult to attain, and and that pendulum is always swinging. So, how do you how do you think about service for us? Because we wove it into that culture, because we had those those dark days of staring at the ceiling and really, who are we? If we're going to be a service company first, what does that mean? And so for us, it really starts at the corporate level. And we've adopted several several ways that and, and what we call cadences that we manage the business. So we have a daily, and it's going to sound like a lot when I go through this, but I'm telling you it is game changing. We have a daily partnership call between the, the partners of the owners of RFG. We have a daily leadership team call. The functional teams each have worked out a cadence for how they communicate. We have an all hands company team call, corporate RFG team call on Fridays. We have monthly town halls with everyone, all of our stakeholders and team members and advisors. Mm -hmm. And then underlying that there is a real accountability and a cross-functional team knowledge so that you have awareness. You're not talking to someone in operations who's completely clueless about what's happening in compliance or finance or branding or marketing or technology, all of these pieces. So, you know, it starts with this, like, what is the underlying cadence? How are you going to run your firm? How are you going to communicate internally? And then it really spirals out from there. And then we've done two things very intentionally to really be a reflection of that service culture. The first is something that I think is really game changing for our industry. We call it RFG Assist. And this is born from having one-on-one -on -one consulting and coaching sessions with our advisors where we very quickly realize advisors are great, really, really great, like superstar great at two things serving their clients and prospecting. They are not, and I think if we got advisors on this panel, they would self-admit, they are not great at recruiting talent to their team. They are not great at forging a career path and managing their team. So we created RFG Assist, and what we essentially did is we onboarded as W-2 employees all of the advisors employees we hire all of their team members we train all of their team members we have rfg university we have rfg mentorship we have an ongoing program where we develop career tracks where we really think about what is your next key hire how are they going to be integrated into your team so we've taken that service from the corporate team that is waking up and thinking about advisors obsessing about how to help them get one percent 
10% better every day. And then we've extended that to their direct teams. So that has been like a great way that we've taken that service mindset and really allowed the tentacles to spread throughout the entire firm. And then the second thing on our service is, is these initiatives that we were so fortunate to be recognized by wealthmanagement.com for, the, the stronger money, the become a warrior, like thinking very innovatively, how do we create podcasts? How do we create prospecting? How do we deliver education at scale? These are, these are very important, softer deliverables that advisors don't, they don't have the bandwidth to be thinking about those kind of initiatives. They need their platform partner to be thinking in that in that disruptive innovative space so you know that's for us uh, i think a uh, two really good examples of of how we're delivering service and i'm going to add one one more which is really really difficult to do but is another one that is as other firms are thinking about and as other ras and advisors are thinking about we've built an in-house msp and that requires a lot because first you have to have buy-in around standardization of devices. You've got to get everybody into the cloud. You've got to really tackle your cybersecurity, uh, cybersecurity risks at a at a at a just a you know mm. at a, a military grade level. Um, but being able to deliver to advisors one point of of call, one you know nine one one my email isn't working, my computer isn't working, I can't get on my tech stack, you know, whatever is happening, the, if the advisor's phone or device isn't working, then you've got a service problem and we recognize that. So that would be the third example I would, you know, toss up there of, of how we're really trying to just a big bear hug of service around all of our advisors. So this is interesting to me. I, you uh, onboard as W2 employees to RFG Advisory Corporate, the uh, support staff for each of the advisors in the network? Correct. That's crazy. So they, they're 100% dedicated to those advisors, but they're employees of RFG Advisory. That's correct. And in the case where advisors are still in the growth mode, they might only need a 50% allocation to a, a team member or a 50% allocation to a, you know, someone who's going to help them with marketing or whatever, you know, whatever the flexibility, we've been able to incorporate that into RFG Assist. So you're able to get talent into these advisors practices that are, that are in growth mode. They're a $50 million advisor. They, they really aren't financially in a place where they can afford the talent that they need, uh, but they can if it's a fractional share. So that's another part of that RFG assist is being able to deliver the talent in those, those increments of time, almost like an employee leasing model, mm -hmm. but everybody's trained, mentored, and really hired by us through a very rigorous you know, process that we really refine. Mind, uh, as we were building RFG 2.0 and building our corporate team. And we've now taken that and, and delivered it out to our advisors. And it is, David, it is, if we think about, you know, we really were just doing some analysis on growth, overall growth for our advisors through the second quarter. And our, our advisors are growing in excess of uh, 30 plus percent a year. Now we've had a strong market, but you, you've, you back that out we're, we're, our advisors are growing 3x what the industry average is. A big part of that is how they're spending their time. 
We're, we're designing our platform to be able to really give them back time, which is everybody's most valuable resource by taking non-revenue generating activities off their plate by really streamlining the tech to deliver efficient workflows. And I think a huge part of it is just being able to deliver them talent that are trained up, that know how to do, whether it's all the paperwork or meeting scheduling or client service or marketing and social media, they're getting the talent they need when they need it to be able, you know, our word is force multiplier. Mm -hmm. Everybody that you're interacting, whether it's an RFG team member, whether it's someone on your team, whether it's advisor to advisor, be a force multiplier. One plus one should be three. Yeah, no, that makes sense. What's the relationship? Do you take uh, equity stakes? Does RFG Advisor take equity stakes in your uh, advisor partners, or is it a basis point fee? What's the relationship? We don't take uh, we don't take equity. Uh, we know that's a really popular model, and certainly has been incredibly successful for other you know competitors of ours. And what we're really trying to do is help advisors build that enterprise value on their balance sheet. That is out of the gate what we're talking about, whether it's you know, helping advisors transition out of a more captive wirehouse environment or advisors who are trying to do it all on their own and realizing they don't either have the time or the talent to actually execute what they need to have happen. Uh, you know, we always hear their wives are tired of going on vacation with their uh, with their computers <laughs> and their Bloombergs and, and not ever able to actually relax. So building enterprise value on the advisor's balance sheet is where we focus and you're, we go the platform fee route. So we charge our advisors an all-in platform fee on their advisory assets to deliver this fully integrated support platform that really powers, we like to say, you know, you plug into RFG, you're powered by RFG, where the silicon chip, you know, is a, I think a great, I love that Intel, you know, it's so iconic, that notion of being powered by the, the Intel chip. That's really what RFG is. And we charge a platform fee. And, and as we thought about tearing down that house and looking around the industry and what can we learn from the way others uh, have done it. For us, independence was really removing the clause. So we wanted to be have to wake up, and this is an important part. I should have I should have mentioned this as we were talking about service, but we really felt that the second year contractually have your clause into an advisor whether through a forgivable loan or just the way that you've structured your agreement around who owns the data, who owns the client relationship, you've basically, you've basically removed the incentive to wake up every day and be a service company first. Cause you're like, you know what? I've got my claws in you. It's kind of hard to break up with me. So I don't have to be as awesome as I might need to be. If I had to really wake up and say, I've got to earn your business every single day, day in and day out. And that's a huge part of us. So we wanted, when we talked about like build enterprise value on your personal balance sheet, be a real advocate, a passionate advocate for independence. We structure that alongside our agreement when advisors are partnering with us, 100% their data, 100% their clients, 100% transparency on pricing for RFG and charging a platform fee to deliver everything. So as they grow enterprise value on their balance sheet, that benefits you. Uh, Precisely. You go, you go yep. Everybody's aligned. You know, we talk about this enterprise value with advisors, and we had this conversation before. And how many advisors get that wrong? Uh, you know, <laughs> don't understand what it means to grow enterprise value. You know, they understand 
profits, they understand revenue, but enterprise value is a different story. What, what do advisors get wrong about enterprise value with their practices? David, I think this is part of the reason why we have a succession crisis in our industry. And what I really think about this is if you put advisors into two buckets, the advisor of the future and the traditional advisor, the advisor of the future has recognized that this is a this is a an industry and a business that is in the grip of change. They are investing in technology. They're investing in talent. They're investing in branding and marketing. They recognize how important it is to be authentic, to deliver that truly that truly differentiated client experience, how to be focused on comprehensive planning, you know, whether that includes and it should include estate planning and tax planning, generational wealth planning, health planning, live your best life planning. This is not just die rich. This is live richly. It, it, it's focused on the advisor of the future is very focused on efficiency. You know, 41% of advisors time is still spent on non-revenue generating activities. And I honestly think that number is generous. I think if they're, they're spending a lot more time on non-revenue generating activities. So that advisor of the future is really squarely focused on enterprise value. I'm going to invest in my team. I'm going to, I'm going to invest in my time. I'm going to invest in my business. I'm going to invest in my client relationship. And as a result, the margin on that practice looks different as does the growth rate. The top line on that practice looks different. Enterprise value of the traditional advisor is all about maximizing cash flow. And it's so interesting. I had this conversation just yesterday with an advisor who was looking to sell their practice. And, and this is a profile that is very, you know, very well known in our industry. He is north of 60 years old. He's, for all intents and purposes, a, a one-man show. Built a great practice in a, you know, in a in a in a smaller town in uh, in the south. Has massively underinvested in technology and the experience for his clients, the efficiencies in his practice. Spends all his time running his clients' assets. You know, and and it was funny. To his credit, he'd hired an investment bank to represent him. And the first thing that the the investment bankers, God bless them, said to him was, "You think you've built enterprise value, but you've done anything but, mm. because the firm that acquired." you is going to look at this and say, it's resource starved. Mm. And so I really think this is, this is kind of a dawning that is happening and valuations are reflecting it. So, you know, we are in a very frothy valuation environment. There is tremendous demand. You know, I've heard everything 20 to one, you know, give me the number, right? Whatever the number is of, of buyers to sellers. But I do believe that the buyers are looking at these businesses and popping the hood and really dissecting Am I building a, am I build, am I buying a practice where there is intrinsic value, where there's enterprise value, or am I just buying a book of business right. and I've got to just, you know, roll those clients and, 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 and serve them, but there's really no value here and the valuations reflect it. So it is something that I think the younger generation, you know, those advisors that are affiliating with us that are in their thirties, that are in their early forties, they are obsessed 
with building enterprise value. They get it. They see this as a generational wealth transfer and they recognize how valuable their business can be if they invest in it. And they don't expect it to just be a cash cow. They expect it to be a you know professionally managed business and that requires thoughtfulness it, 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 and it requires capital. It strikes me that we probably don't do any advisors any favors by continuing to talk about how it's a seller's market and such a frothy M&A environment. And, you know, I think probably a lot of advisors think that's great. I can sell my business anytime I want. Uh, <laughs> For 100% cash up front and walk out the door. Right, right. You know, and, and we talk, it, it's also interesting that I think this notion of enterprise value, it's such an advisor focused practice that the irony is that the advisor kind of has to take themselves out of the equation in order to grow that enterprise value, right? You are 100% right, David. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the most exciting trends. You know, we, I always like to say, why do, part of the reason why we have a succession crisis is for all intents and purposes, these are first-gen businesses, mm -hmm. right? Our first wave, the, the pioneers of our industry, and, and they've done a phenomenal job, right? They have created something of significant value. And I use the word value there, meaning the impact that they have on people's lives. Like ours is an industry that does so much good, but these are first generation businesses. So it's not surprising that we're having to go through this, this a little bit bumpy, a little bit transitional, like it's hard, right? We're transitioning these businesses. We're, we're carving out new ways that these companies will be run and managed. And, and, you know, I heard this great stat yesterday that I want to share with you because I was kind of blown away by it. The median RIA right now is 440 million with eight team members, five years, that'll be 800 million with 14 team members. It is a war, right? It is a full on arms race for talent, for advisors, for technology. I mean, this is gonna be one of the most exciting, dynamic, disruptive chapters that we're all gonna live through the next five to 10 years in our industry. Yeah, you spent some 20 years on the institutional side, mostly in finance, correct? I did. Uh -huh. And, you know, I'd love to get a little bit into your background as well, but just your thoughts maybe on this notion that, you know, we're in a 10-year bull market, you know, stock prices until very recently could seem to continuously go in one direction. You know, how much does that mask a lot of sins in the RIA space? You can coast along and do pretty well. Gosh, it doesn't it mask sins, not just in the RIA space, but kind of everywhere, right? Whether you're one of the companies benefiting from your stock price, you know, hitting all time highs, you kind of gloss over making the hard decisions about your strategy or your competition or your talent, or you're, you know, sitting around the kitchen table, looking at your budget being, you know, either too optimistic about what you can spend, or you're thinking about, you know, the RIA business, and do I really need to dig in and do this succession planning or be very thoughtful about my team or really quite honestly care? Do my clients even care about how I'm serving them? I mean, the markets are going up, the phone doesn't ring with as, uh, as, many, as many complaints, but I really, I have benefited from, you know, I'm, 
I'm going to age myself here, 25 plus years in the industry. I have loved our business since I was 14 years old. I had the great fortune of working at two, uh, two hedge funds in San Francisco, really one of the first employees in those firms. Uh, I got to work at an investment bank where we took Netscape public. So the first internet IPO got to sit on the front lines of of, of Silicon Valley and, and the technology industry really being created. I ran a hedge fund for six years. I got to manage. That was my lifelong dream until I'm doing, you know, my, my new dream. I didn't even mm -hmm. know I had it until I got to check that box and then have been given this gift to, to be in leadership here at RFG. So I've, I've managed money through these bull markets, bear markets. I've been in this industry for a, a very long time. And it is, it is, you know, you have to manage. I think about this all the time. And one of the, um, it's a little bit somber, but I, I really believe every leader should ask themselves this que this question, and they should do it frequently. You know, I really try and and do very intentional planning quarterly, where I'm writing down personal goals, professional goals. You know, we have very clearly articulated goals for the company. We have uh, board meetings. We have an unbelievable advisory board that we meet three times a year in person, three times a year virtually to just run this cadence and and execute at this very high level. But every leader should be asking themselves this question, you know, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, does the company thrive? Not just survive. Does the company thrive in my absence? And if you have that orientation and you're asking yourselves those hard questions and you're training up your team and you're giving them that room to take ownership, to to lead, to step into their their full potential, then you're less likely to be blinded by what's happening in the market. You're not putting your head in the sand. I mean, we're so impatient with, in, in the best possible way, you know, with what we are and what we're building and, you know, the, the future can't get here, you know, fast enough, but you're, you're right. People are burying their heads in the sand, whether it's individuals or companies or, or advisors or RIAs and this raging bull market band-aids over a lot of issues that need to be addressed. You help some of your firms uh, acquire other firms. We do. Tell me a we little do, bit about and, and succession planning, internal succession planning. Okay. You know, this is, um, this is something that, gosh, talk to an advisor and they'll tell you, I want to buy a book of business or talk to an RIA. I want to do, you know, I want to roll up. I want to be an aggregator. I want to buy these firms. Buckle up, Buttercup. It is a huge amount of work. And, you know, for us, we do this very, very strategically in more of a, you know, strike-like fashion because we try and be incredibly laser focused on the highest and best use of our time. You know, our we are on a mission to affiliate advisors to our platform to help them build enterprise value and be the RIA of the future. Where there is an opportunity to do succession planning and make an acquisition that strategically makes sense and we can add value, we're going to execute on that. But you have to know going into that, it is going to take your team's eye off the ball. It is just a ton of work, not only to just align the books and the business models and the language and the client list and who's doing what and you know the the easiest part of the deal quite honestly is is the number 
what are you going to pay? Hmm. I mean, that's just a math problem. That that's the easy part. It's like I I equate it to you know building a house. The most fun, best part of building a house is ripping out pages from a magazine hmm. that look beautiful, and you're like, oh, I want that dream kitchen. <laughs> the same is true of M and A. The best part is like dreaming about the value, the number, right? That you're going to get paid, or you're going to pay, and structuring the deal. That, you know, we've got brilliant lawyers and we're very fortunate. Our chief investment officer spent 12 years at Bain Capital, Harvard, undergrad, Stanford, MBA. That guy can do deals and negotiate deals in his sleep 10 ways till Sunday. Um, so we're really lucky to have this tremendous bandwidth and, and talent in-house to do these deals. But I really caution advisors, it cannot be a hobby. You cannot be a one-off acquirer. You can be very, I think, strategic in making acquisitions and you can have a strategy that involves either acquiring books of business or making acquisitions or rolling up firms. But no, it's just like anything, you know, make it, it has to be a priority. It can't be, it can't be a side hustle and it can't be an afterthought. It has to really be something that is, you know, very clearly articulated articulated around expectations for value process and integration because it's a big lift mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yeah I just think a lot of advisors look at it as you know here's just the magic bullet to growth and right you know, they um, that's I think you're 100 right like I want to double the size of my business I mean and Bobby White are this is where he's got so much insight he's like I lived it. I walked the path. I made the two game-changing succession-driven partnerships to take the firm from 450 million to 1.2 billion. Mm -hmm. And guess what happened? He he hit that roadblock. He's like, I'm eating that elephant. I can't grow anymore. I don't ha I've outgrown my talent. I've outgrown my team. I've outgrown my technology. I've outgrown my custodians. I've outgrown my business model. You know, this is, th these are, these are hard problems and we're really fortunate. You know, we are advisor led, but we're professionally managed. Everyone on the RFG team and what our advisors benefit from, we don't have books of business. Bobby has a very thriving practice as the CEO and founder, but the rest of us, our clients are advisors. So when we're doing deals, when we're helping advisors structure succession plans, we've got a professional team. We're not asking our, our, our advisors to take time out of their day serving their clients to do the heavy lifting we're really you know standing in that trench and doing that work is rfg advisory bootstrapped financially uh, yourself or uh, outside investors pe money How's you know, I'll tell you, um, I think every entrepreneur, no matter how big you are, is bootstrapped because mm. we're all so eager. I, you know, I've got three whiteboards in my office that uh, are filled with the future and, and investments and technology and talent and disruption. So we have done both. We have bootstrapped the company and we've also benefited from a partnership with an ultra high net worth family office mm. uh, headquartered here in Birmingham who provided capital as we went through that RFG 2.0, tear the house down, build it uh, to help us invest in all that technology and talent. It's expensive, mm -hmm. right? The, there's a reason why, you know, our, our industry is incredibly attractive for obvious reasons uh, of our business models to private equity and venture money and strategic investors. And, and, and we have not gone that route. You know, we really have, have, in, have, have elected up until this point to, um, to be able to fund the growth by this partnership that we've done through a convertible note and then through the partners contributing capital. But, you know, everybody's going to get there. If we're building these platforms of scale and certainly 
our our competitors north of ten billion dollars are all very well capitalized. You know, if you if you ask me, what do I stare at the ceiling now that RFG two point is built, and I don't have to stare at the ceiling worrying about the you know the execution on that. I stare at the ceiling thinking about thinking about exactly that point. Our our competitors are are well capitalized. It's an arms arms race for talent and and advisors. There is a, you know, an an insatiable appetite to invest in marketing and and technology and we really have this this urgency to build, you know, this mission to build this RIA of the future and is there a point where you need capital, you know, to be determined, but I can see why our competitors have gone down that route. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's always trade-offs, of course. There, um, there really are. And up until this point, we just haven't been willing to make those trade-offs. Like we're just, we've been really fortunate to, to build a profitable business and to, and to be able to grow it and to, and to do it the way that we've done it. Um, and you know, I, I, nothing against those that have already gone through that PE route, but it does change the dynamic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It changes maybe which master you're serving. The, uh, I, when you, when you lay in bed and you're staring at the ceiling and you're thinking about, uh, RFG advisory 3.0, uh, in terms of service to advisors, what does that look like? Or what you don't know what it looks like yet, but I mean, what what kind of directions are you leaning towards? Well, I think it's a I think it's a really interesting question. I think if you were going to put that into you know a couple different boxes, the ones that stand out for me and that we've been spending a lot of time really understanding and and doing due diligence on and and conceptualizing is you know first and foremost technology. We're a technology company. Second, we've done a fantastic job of building a fully integrated tech stack, and now we're starting to look at what happens when you create a data warehouse? What happens when you start to turn your API integrations from a horizontal to a vertical integration and deliver a fully customized uh, UI for your advisor dashboards and your client portals and, 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 and really processing through all your workflows and your service requests. So for us, there is a huge iteration that's going to happen in our industry around technology. And I think, you know, David, you and I've kind of talked about this and it's such a, I mean, it's such a fascinating time to really be talking about tech in our industry because it's, we're kind of like the graveyard is littered with technology and advisors have more tech at their fingertips mm -hmm. than they know what to do with. But it's hard to get it all talking to each other and have it be integrated and have advisors with the support and the coaching and the training to be able to leverage it to its full extent to accomplish what it's designed to do, which is inject time into the advisor's day-to-day -day and enhance that client experience. So we're really focused in 3.0 on really being able to deliver, you know, and it's funny, it's like, and every industry, I think, goes through this with their technology. The more complex you make it, the more simple you want it to be. So we're, we're you know, our, our internal mission uh, as it relates to technology is we call it the Fisher pricing of technology. We want to make things simpler mm. for our advisors and for our clients. So that is one. I think there is so much 
exciting frontier to be explored in the client port. Clients have demonstrated to us that they're very comfortable with Zoom, that, you know, we believe that. For us, we literally flipped a switch on March 16th when the pandemic sent everybody home and we were 100% remote. We shipped a few monitors to people, but other than that, we had already been planning for the future where we believed that gone were the days of the manila folder and the advisor meeting, you know, one time a year, four times a year in the conference room with this very formalized experience. We really believed in this on-demand video with your advisor in their portal, you know, everything highly customized with AI and some of these tools that are developing around experience enhancement in the portal, that is going to be a new frontier. That is going, you know, if you don't have an app, if you're not an app on your client's phone, if your clients aren't engaging heavily in your portal, if you're not delivering video messaging into your portal and and curated content and, and aggregating all of their important documents and thinking about how the portal is the bridge to the next gen, like it's, it's time to start thinking about those things. So I think that's a really, I'd put that under it's technology, but it's so much more. It's so much more around the richness of that service experience. So those are, you know, two big areas. And then the, the other, you know, 3.0, we've done a great job, I think, and there's some very innovative companies delivering marketing and branding that is, is more generic. It's curated and customized-ish. But where we're really heading with branding and marketing is the TikToking of our industry, even though, right, we can't officially use TikTok because we haven't quite figured out all of the, the retention, uh, but we'll get there as an industry. You know, our regulators are having a hard time keeping up with all these social media channels. But that, that you know, what TikTok has done is it's democratized content. And that is the next wave for advisors, being very comfortable creating videos and filming highly personalized content on their phones engaging in a way with clients where not only are you posting it to social, you're delivering it via text, you're delivering it via email, it's going into the client portal. Everything is highly, you know, intentional for that client content that meets them at the stage that they're in in their life that matters. And it's not just the top five tips that you should be thinking about for tax season, right? I hired an advisor, so I don't have to think about the top five things for tax season. Mm. I want the content that's, you know, take my mother who just lost her, you know, her, my, my beloved stepfather of 30 years. She wants content that's around safety and security and comfort and knowing that the planning that she's done up into this point is going to serve her well in the future. And three months from now, she's going to want the warm hug around how to start getting back out there and socializing and planning that next trip with your grandkids and living your life and honoring the legacy. So, you know, that customized content is a big part of 3.0. And then the, the last thing I'd touch on, and there's, I mean, we could literally do this all day. It's such an exciting thing to talk about, such an exciting topic, is the generational wealth transfer. And one of the most bullish stats for our industry is that when you look at the data, the, the millennials are actually saying on a percentage basis, they want to hire a financial advisor. A greater percentage of them are indicating they want to hire a financial advisor than the baby boomers. Nobody saw that trend, right? We talked about that in our panel. No one saw that trend. So how are we going to engage 
engage them? How are we going to deploy these different business models that have an education component, that have a consulting component? What is the deliverable for that? How are we going to bridge that gap as this generational wealth transfer happens where they're really empowered, you know, through charitable work, through their money? You know, their mo they look at money in a very different way. They are very different in their orientation for what is a life well lived. That's going to shake up our industry. Mm -hmm. It's exciting times for sure. I agree with all that. It's a great transformation going on here. I got to ask you one more thing. We're kind of up the, the end of our hour, but uh, you have kind of a, a side gig or, or you did uh, in a, a luxury children's clothing company, Busy Bees. I did. Is that something you're still involved with? or was that My amazing business partner still runs that uh, mm -hmm. that company day to day. So I'm only involved as a as an owner. And, and when she needs, you know, some additional help uh, talking to the bankers or, or doing things like that. But she does an amazing job. And I'll tell you, to anyone who's wondering about, you know, do you take the hard left turn and just completely pivot your life? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. So I had, you know, basically, as I mentioned, loved finance my whole career. I had my dream job as a hedge fund manager. I was running a big business for the hedge fund I was working for. I had three children. I call them my reckless procreation years. I had three children in three and a half years. And I woke up one morning, David, and it was so disorienting because I'd never thought of doing anything but finance to just my heart wasn't in it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I needed to be with my, you know, my kids were so young at the time, I needed to be more present. I was tired of crawling on airplanes, but I wanted to keep working. And I'd always, I'd done a lot of investing in retail and was very curious about building brands. And I wanted to keep my hand in something entrepreneurial. That's really the only ecosystem I know. And I was given this opportunity to partner when Busy Bees was upside down boxes of, of inventory in a garage. So I, I can claim I have started a company out of a garage. It's so Silicon Valley of me. Uh, and we, you know, we built that into a real brand carried in 150 stores across the country, a beautiful online e-commerce site. And, uh, and that was a long time ago when you really, you know, we were actually using Shopify before Shopify went public mm -hmm. and, uh, and built this company. We did a partnership with Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, all these cool, cool things. But the most important thing and, and why I say, take the hard left turn if given the opportunity, I learned all these skills that I never would have gained had I just stayed in that linear finance path. Mm. Part of the reason I'm so passionate about brand building and recognize the importance of storytelling and brands is that I got to sit on the front line of building a luxury children's clothing company and people buy luxury children's clothing really for the fabric of their memories. They buy it for the Christmas picture, for, you know, we're getting all the grandkids together at the 4th of July picnic and we want that coordinated photograph. It's the first day of school. It's the Easter dress. It's the wedding dress. It's the, you know, it's these, it's the fabric of people's memories, these cherished memories. And so I learned about building an e-commerce site and branding and marketing and and how to tell that story. And, and I also learned about how hard it is to grind a business. Like I worked for well-funded hedge funds in the tallest building at the time in San Francisco with a large team and assistants and as many post-it notes as I could ever hope for to, you know, sweating it on a working capital line. Mm. And how do you 
where do you come up with the money to to fund the collection and 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 make the samples and get to the trade show and and that experience changes you it makes you a better business person it made me a much better thinker it made me a better leader and it certainly taught me all kinds of skills i never ever would have had the opportunity to build had i just stayed in finance so this is a you know a a rally cry for if you're thinking about the side hustle or you're wondering about the pivot do it yeah great advice great advice uh experience comes from all places shannon this has been great we're at the the end of the time i, I know i'm getting the hook here it's been a great conversation thanks very much uh for the time thank you for uh submitting the nominations for the wealthies i think the judges were we're uh, uh, well pleased to to recognize RFG Advisory for these categories. Thanks very much. Well, thank you, David. And let's uh, you know keep our fingers crossed for a three-peat. Yeah, yeah. Let's see what happens next year. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. And this has been the Wealthies Podcast. I'm David Armstrong. Thanks for listening. This content has been made for information and educational purposes only. The views and opinions represent the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of wealthmanagement.com.